You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Thank you. Remain standing if you would and turn to Matthew chapter 16. If you're going to junior church, you can be dismissed at this time. Love that song and I love when we sing it. Lord, I need you because it reminds me, especially right before I get up to preach that I can uh, I could get up here and I can say a bunch of words and they could even be accurate and true, but without the Lord, it really means nothing. There's no power in it. And so uh, thank you, Brian, for picking that and Micah for leading that. Matthew chapter number uh, 16. I think I might have said 18, but Matthew chapter 16 because we're going to be covering verse 18 uh, this morning. Um, let me. Last week I started. I had planned to preach when I was preparing. I planned to preach verses 13 through 20. And that morning I realized I'm not going to get through it all. And so we got through basically most of verse 17. This morning we'll finish that and we'll cover 18 through 20. Uh, last week we looked at Peter's confession. And the, the title last week was, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Who Jesus asked that question. And they said, hey, you know what? Um, some say that you're Elias. Some say that you're this prophet or that prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter's words will live on for eternity. That is, that that was the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And uh, this week we're going to Peter. Jesus responds to Peter with that. And this is the passage Peter, our Peter, this morning. Peter Moon said to me, he said, "I'm looking forward to this because he said it's one of those." He said, "I'm looking forward to what you're talking about this morning." I said, "Because we're talking about Peter." And he said, "No, because this is a passage that has been used to prove or to attempt to prove." Many things that simply aren't true. So we're going to look at that this morning. Let's look at verse number. Let's begin just for context. Let's go back to verse 13 again. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he saith unto them, But whom, do, whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my, will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I, give, I will give unto thee the keys of the, of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Death then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. We're going to pray. And uh, if you're visiting with us, don't. Uh, we're, we are weird, but not in this way. Um, but I'm going to have my hands out. Uh, not as any other thing other than to show that my heart is open for what God has for me today. Father, thank you for the, your words. Thank you uh, for what we saw last time. How Peter boldly said something that maybe others thought, maybe others believe, but he was the first one that said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thank you, and I pray that if there's somebody here today that does not know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that you reveal to them and their heart is convicted that Thou art the Christ, You are the Messiah, You are the Son of the living God. Help us to understand what you were teaching Peter and the rest of the disciples here in this text. I pray that we would accurately understand it, accurately uh, uh, teach it, accurately administer it in our hearts and in our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
The confession that Peter made was not something that he was smart enough to figure out. It wasn't that Peter was the most studious or Peter was the one uh, who had the best understanding of the ancient Hebrew. But it was that God had revealed something in the heart of Peter. And that is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the promised one that had been they had waited for so long. Now, this might lead us to say, who does God reveal that to today? If, if Jesus said that, he said, hey, you know, Peter, it wasn't you that uh, that understood it. You didn't you didn't make this up. You didn't receive it from men. You didn't receive it from flesh and blood. But he said, you understand this because of my father, which is in heaven. If that's the case, then who can understand that Jesus is the Christ today? Here's the here's the simple answer to that. That faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Where can, can you understand it? I'm telling you what. And I'm going to say this at the end. But it is our job to bring them near to Christ. And it is God's job. It's the Father's job to reveal that he is the Christ. The son of the living God. Now last time we saw these things. We saw that Peter. We saw the confession of men. The confession of men is that, that, that he's a prophet. Or that he's John the Baptist. The, uh, we saw the confession of Peter. That he's the Christ. The son of the living God. But we also saw that the confession then was from God. Peter didn't make it up on his own. But this morning I want to start with this. This confession that Peter made is the foundation of the church. And so we, we saw in verse 17, uh, Jesus calls Peter. And we talked about this. Jesus uses the, uh, the term or uses his name as Simon Barjona. That was his old name. That was his given name. He was Simon, the son of Jonah. Now he goes back to using the name Peter. In verse number 18, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now why would, remember Jesus said, when Jesus met Peter, Jesus said, you're Simon, but now you're going to be known as Cephas, or as Peter, which means a stone. Why would Jesus give a man who we know, if you read back through, and you read through uh, all these interactions we've seen up to this point, he was this kind of wishy-washy guy at times, right? Why would Jesus give him the name Rock? And I think the reason is, and I remember the old, there was an old Southern Gospel song that used to say, he saw not what I was, but he saw what I could be. He didn't see who Peter was before him, but he knew what Peter was going to be after he came in contact and after he was taught by the Master. Now this passage, verse number 18, uh, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. This passage has been used to support an idea that Peter is the foundation of the church. Uh, or that he was the first supreme leader of the church. But that is not at all what Jesus is saying. And a simple understanding, a simple reading, not even understanding the Greek here, but a simple reading, although we're going to go into that a little bit, a simple reading helps us to see that that is not at all what Jesus was teaching. Some believe this is the moment that Jesus founded his church. I don't know exactly what moment it is. Some people do, and I just, I'm not as smart as them. I believe it was during his earthly ministry that he started his church. Some believe it was when his disciples were all baptized and called to go together. Some believe it was here. Some believe it was later. But uh, maybe, maybe this is the point. But I don't think that's what's important here. Maybe, what is the rock that the church of Jesus Christ would be built on? Now, the name Peter, the word Peter, is Petros in the Greek. It means simply a stone, okay, a small stone, or a piece of a larger stone. That's what the word Peter means. 
So when Jesus said, upon this rock, he doesn't use the word Petros. He uses a different word. And that word is Petra. Petra means a large rock or a boulder. It means a massive rock. It was used when they would talk about a, a ledge or a cliff. They would say, that is a Petra. Thou art Peter, thou art a piece of a stone, thou art a piece of a rock. But upon this Petra, I will build my church. There are some very large walls and rocks there in Caesarea Philippi where this is taking a place. And if you've ever looked at pictures of that, I've never been there, of course, but if you ever looked at pictures, there is, there's these massive cliffs that, that were possibly and likely the backdrop to what Jesus is teaching here. And so he stands there with his disciples, and it's possible, and I don't know this, but it's possible that Peter, that Jesus is talking to Peter, and he looks over at Peter and says, Thou art Peter, thou art Petros, thou art a small rock. But upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, of course, he wasn't building it. He wasn't saying, hey, up there on the top of that cliff, that's where I'm going to, I'm going to build my church building. Now, I don't know what hand motions Jesus did when he said this. I, we, we really are left in the dark as far as exactly what he said or how he said it. But we do know this. He said, thou art Peter. Thou art Petros. And maybe he said, but upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon me. Uh, upon me as the Savior. Now, we don't know, but we do know a couple of things. Peter never claimed to be the supreme leader of the church. You can read through the rest of uh, you can read through the rest of the Gospels. You can read through the Book of Acts. You can read through Peter's writings in First and Second Peter. Peter never claimed to be the supreme leader of the church. We do see Peter step up in Acts chapter two, Acts early in Acts. We see him step up, and uh, I think he's the the first pastor of that church. Uh, after Jesus is gone, he pastors, he leads, he's kind of the, the head leader there. Later, we see uh, in the book of Acts, we see James kind of step up into that leadership role. But we're never told exactly, uh, we're never told that Peter is the supreme leader of the church, and he never claimed it. In First Peter chapter 2, in fact, he says this, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Okay, so he refers to himself, if you read the context, he's referring to himself there as a living stone. Verse 5, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ Jesus. So in, in verse 4, he calls himself a living stone. In verse 5, he he's the people that are reading the, the church, he's saying, but you are living stones. And so he compares himself using the same words to describe him and his intended readers. So Peter puts himself on the same level instead of exalting himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said this, According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. So when Jesus said, Thou art Petros, and upon this rock I will build my church, he was not referring to Peter as the foundation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Notice that Jesus didn't say, Thou art Peter, and upon you I will build my church, or upon thee I will build my church. He didn't say that. He used a term, the, his language gives us the idea, and tells us clearly, in my opinion, that he's talking about something distinct from Peter. 
He was not saying, Thou art Peter, and upon you I will build my church. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock. Thou art a small rock, and upon this big rock I will build my church. So, Jesus is the cornerstone, according to Ephesians 2.20. But what does it mean, then, uh, in Ephesians 2.20, when he concludes the apostles and prophets? He said, let me read it to you again, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. If he's referring to the prophets of the Old Testament, which we believe he is, were they a part of the church? Well, the church didn't start until the New Testament. The church didn't begin until, until uh, the book of, uh, well, until the Gospels. John Gill wrote this. The prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New, who agree in laying ministerially the one and only foundation, Jesus Christ. For not the persons of the apostles and prophets, nor their doctrines merely, are here meant, but Christ who is contained in them, and who is the foundation on which the church and all true believers are built. So, upon this rock I will build my church. What he's saying, and, what, and he says here that it was the apostles and the prophets, he wasn't saying that the apostles as people and the prophets as people are the foundation of the church. He's saying on what they taught, what they believed, their doctrine, which is Jesus Christ. So in our context, then we go back to what, what Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. Again, I don't think he's, I don't think he's saying I'm building my church on this doctrine, although that is a vital doctrine for the church. But he's saying, I am going to build my church on this Christ that is the Son of the living God. Jesus built his church on himself as the Christ. In fact, in verse 21 of, of Ephesians chapter 20, it says this, Ephesians chapter 2, it says, In whom all the building fitly joined, framed together, grow with unto a holy temple. Verse 22, In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So both of those verses, as he's talking about them being builded, he says, In whom all the building fitly framed together. In verse, the next verse, In whom ye are builded together. The word whom, okay, if you're thinking, is he talking about the disciples? Is he talking about the prophets? The word whom is singular, and it's masculine. And so it can only mean Jesus Christ. The church is built on Jesus Christ. It is not built on Peter. And it, really, and it was not built on the apostles. It was built on Jesus Christ. Verse 18 is also the first place in Scripture that we see the word church. It's the first time, in, in, at least in the order of scripture that we have, it's the first time that the word church is recorded. The Greek word is ekklesia. You might hear the word ecclesiology. It's the study of the doctrine of the church. Where did the church come from? Who is the church? That's, that's ecclesiology. Now, the word ekklesia, ekklesia is not, was not a religious word. We think of the word church, and we only think of it in a religious context. We don't say, "Yeah, I went down to um, I went down to have church at you know at the uh, at the the Moose the Hall. What do they call that? Uh, whatever uh, the Moose Club. What do they call it? The Moose Lodge. Thank you. Um, we don't. We, we people don't say we went we went down to the church. Speaking of the Moose Lodge, but so the word church was not was not a religious word. It was, an, it was used for an assembly of people that were called out of their homes to come to a public meeting. That's what the word ecclesia means. 
Uh, the, the Tyndale Bible was translated years before the King James Version, and there this word is translated congregation. The same is true of the Bishop's Bible of 1539. Young's literal translation says assembly. So we see in those other ones where we have the word congregation, which we would say we congregate together, we come together, we assemble together. Now, each one of those were translated from the same text that our King James is, but the King James uses the word church. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one of those is the word church itself in English is a religious word. And it, here's what the word means. It comes from uh, kurios, which is the word for Lord. And it comes from, it, what it means is it means the Lord's house. Okay, so church means the Lord's house. But the word ecclesia did not mean the Lord's house. It meant a called out assembly. Now, why would they have translated that way? Well, uh, they were translating this for the king. King James, right? They were translating it. And if they had translated an assembly and they had taught a local church to their, through their translation, guess what? That went against the Anglican church. It went against the Church of England. The Church of England believes in a universal church. And everybody who's ever been saved is all a part of the church. But Jesus was talking about a local assembly here. He says, thou art Peter and upon, upon this rock I will build my assembly. And so the, the word church is not a bad word by any means. It's not, a, it's not a bad translation. It's simply not a translation. It is more of a, uh, it's not a transliteration. It's not a literal translation, but it is a, a word that they use. And we should just understand that the word church means assembly. It means that we are called out to assemble together. The church that Jesus built is a called out assembly. Now, now, to be an assembly, what do we have to do? There's one thing we have to do. We have to assemble. Right? During COVID, it was a time where none of us knew what to do. Uh, when I say none of us, I mean none of us, but I mean pastors. I, I had only been pastoring for about three years at the time. And uh, I've been pastoring a little over six years now, and I still don't know what I'm doing. Okay? I'm making it up as I go daily. But um, when we came to that, I remember I called Brother Hal Hightower at Rochester Hills. I called Pastor Tim Berlin at Faith. Pastors who pastored for many years, pastors who have large churches. And I called them and I was like, well, I don't know how to handle this. And they're like, yeah, me neither. And um, we're, we were making up. But here's what we knew. And here's what I know better now than I even knew back in 2020. We must assemble. The church must assemble. We, for two weeks, we went to online and I preached to you for the first service. We didn't know what to do. And, and so I remember Andrew and he was in my office with me. We were six feet apart. It was okay. And uh, he was in my office with me. And uh, I had already, I had basically Friday night, we decided that we were going to cancel the in-person gathering. And so Saturday, I wrote a whole new sermon because I was like, I, I'm not going to preach, but I had planned on preaching. And Andrew scrolled through. I had my notes on a monitor, and I was looking at my monitor with my notes because I didn't want you to see me looking down the time. Okay, those are the trickery behind the camera. Okay, um, and so, and then we moved in here, and I preached from here, but with just two or three people in the room. Um, but within two weeks, we started outdoor services. Now we could look back at all that and say we could have done things different. Now that we know what we know, we know things that we didn't know that nobody really knew what was going on. But now that we know what we know, now we might say we would do things different, but here's one thing that we could not change, we should not change, is we must gather together. We must be in assembly. That is, to
To be a church, we must assemble. Well, you know, I have church at home. You can't have church at home. Not, not, let me rephrase that. You can have church at home if it's a church gathering together, okay? At your home. But you cannot skip church and say, oh, I'm going to watch online. I'm going to have church at home. Now, if, if you can't be here because you're sick, if you can't be here because you're providentially hindered in some way, right? Um, then please watch online. Get fed. Get something. Learn something. Grow. I, I'm, I'm not, we stream for that purpose. We do not stream so that people can say, I don't feel like going today. I'm just going to sit at home. Because as a church, we must assemble. That is the very nature of the word ecclesia that we are to assemble. Listen, if... Okay, this could be dangerous. How many of you missed me in my family last week? Thank you for lying. I appreciate that. Um, you were like, you weren't here? I, who said that to me? Flo. Um, I asked Miss Betty, I said, did you miss me last week? And Flo goes, you weren't here? Um, okay, so let's say you actually did, right? We miss you too. There was a part of us missing last week to not be in our church with our body, with our family. Now, we went to church. And you say, well, why did you go? Why didn't you just stream? There's no internet at the campground, okay? Well, unless you go sit up in the store. But why did, why did we go to church last Sunday? We went to church because, as that article said, God gave us seven days. He asked for one, right? So we went to church. And so at, when we, but what else, what did we accomplish? Did we just check something off of our list? Well, maybe sometimes that's what we do. But we went and we encouraged another church. I guarantee you that that church, probably about the size of our church total, um, that they were encouraged that this family showed up there on Sunday morning. And we encouraged them. And we participated. Even though it wasn't our church, we participated in worshiping there with that body. Um, so, we cannot function as well without part of the body. And so here's a great promise for us. He says there, and he says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The death will not prevail against the Lord's church. Now, have you ever known churches that died? Well, yeah. And, and some might say, well, that's the life cycle. Sometimes, you know, they go through good times. Sometimes they die. The churches die because they fail to fulfill the Great Commission. Right? If you're fulfilling the Great Commission, you're not going to die as a church. And so churches, this doesn't mean that churches won't die, but it simply means that the institution of the church, do families break apart? Yes. Does that mean the family must break apart? No. The family, the family as an institution um, will continue. Now, the church as an institution will continue, and God has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So here's the thing. If we will continue and really improve... At fulfilling the Great Commission, this church, I believe, will be alive when Jesus returns. And uh, I, I truly believe that that's what God wants for us. All right, look at verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Now, I realize that this morning is... A little bit more teachy as opposed to maybe maybe it sounds the same to you. Okay, but I feel like it's more teachy. I'm trying to teach you some things because I think that's what Jesus is doing. And as we as we go through a book, some weeks are gonna be like two weeks ago where it was thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and sometimes it's gonna be who what are the keys and what does this mean that what you bind on earth and be bound in heaven, you loose on earth, you loose in heaven. Here in verse number nineteen, I believe that we have the authority of the church. Does Peter stand at the gates of heaven 
Let's just stop there. There's Peter standing at the gates of heaven. All the jokes. Peter, uh, St. Peter's at the pearly gates. You get to the pearly gates and they tell a joke, right? Um, does Peter stand at the gates of heaven and go, well, let me see if I'm going to let you in. Okay? Now, that might be the joke, but that joke is based on bad theology from this passage. Right? That thou art Peter and upon this rock. And I give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Is that what uh, we're learning here? Is that what Jesus is trying to teach? Are the keys something that are handed down from generation to generation? As a father has his car that he passes it on to his son, not to be kind, but because it's old and beat up and he doesn't want it anymore, so he gives it to his son and he passes the keys down to the car to the, car to the son. Is that what he's doing? Is this no? Uh, that's what that's what the Catholic Church imagines with popes that they are to pass it down. They pass it down from one pope to the next. There is no mention of, in Scripture of Peter passing down any authority or Peter being the one with the power to let anyone into heaven or to keep anybody out. The disciples, listen, the, the apostles here, the, the, these 12 disciples, they had apostolic authority. They had apostolic power. They had things that we don't have. Peter seems to maybe at times even had more. He's always listed first in the disciples. He was the one that preached to a great number of Jews. He'd be the one through whom the door of the Gentiles would be open. So Peter filled a great need, filled a great role that God had called him to fill. But what are the keys? Okay? Let me go back to verse 19 again. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? Uh, G. Campbell Morgan wrote this. He was speaking to Hebrews and the phrase the keys was perfectly familiar to them. They were the insignia of the office of the scribe, the teacher of the law of God. The key was a sign, not of a priestly office, but of the office of the scribe. The keys committed to Peter were not the keys of the church, but the keys of the kingdom. And so what G. Kevin Morgan is saying, his interpretation of this, is that the keys were meant, I'm giving to you the office of scribe, the office of teacher. Not as a priest, not as a pope, but I'm giving to you the office of teacher. Now, when Jesus spoke to Peter upon uh, this occasion, he spoke to him as a scribe. In chapter 13, we have the parables of the kingdom, and when they ended with these words, therefore, in other words, because you have understood... Every scribe, this is what Jesus would say, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. So a scribe, he, he's, they're given the authority, they're given the power, they're given the responsibility to teach the word of God. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So, if that's the keys, if the keys are the responsibility, the role, the great commission we will see in Matthew chapter 28 when we get there. If that's the case, then who got the keys? Okay? He says, uh, I say to thee, thou art Peter, verse 18, upon this rock I will build my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You might say, well, thee is speaking of all the disciples, but you know what? The word thee is a singular word. So Jesus was talking singularly to somebody. I give unto thee. Now, maybe he was talking to them as a group. I give unto you, as a, thee, as a group. But, let, turn over a page or two, whatever it takes you to get there, to verse chapter 18. Who can bind on earth and who can bind in heaven? Who can loose on earth and be loosed in heaven? Now, I believe that he's speaking to the church 
uh, as, as a group. But he's telling you, Peter, listen, I can say, hey, Peter, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And I can be talking to Peter, but still referring to the rest of the group. Well, look at, verse, look at chapter 18, verse number 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen and a publican, a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or you shall agree on this earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Clearly, this passage is talking about the church. Clearly, he's saying that where two or three are gathered together, if only two or three of you showed up today, I would have preached to you. I wouldn't have said, well, hogwash, everybody's mad, I'm going home, I'm not going to preach. I would have preached to two or three of you, and then I would have went home and cried, okay? But that's beside the point, you don't need to know that part. Um, but he's preached, so he's, in chapter 18, he's clearly talking to the church. And what does he say? He says that... Uh, in verse 18, whatsoever he shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What shall be loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. So he, he uses the same wording here, talking to the people about the church. Now we're going to expose those verses when we get to chapter 18. We'll spend more time on church discipline and confronting first, before church discipline, confronting a, a fault between two believers. Now, so what does this mean? That upon this, that uh, that I give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and what you bind on earth, bound in heaven, what you loose on earth, will be loose in heaven. Well, the organization and the structure of the church was yet to be established. Right now, as we go through, we see the church. We see, um, you know, we have we have baptized believers that are banded together for the furtherance of the gospel. We see that here with the disciples, Acts chapter two. We see this explosion in the church of the people just absolutely. Uh, seeing 5,000 saved and just an, an amazing day. But we don't see deacons until chapter 5. You see, as the church went along, they began to do different things. They began to set up the structure of the church. Now, when I preached through uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, yeah, 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, when I preached that and I, and I talked about pastors and deacons, I told you that the Bible does not specifically tell us exactly how this is to be set up. In fact, I was talking with uh, Sam Gunner, Pastor Sam Gunner, this week we were talking about this. I don't know how we got on, but it's kind of like Brother Gary. We delve into fifth grade conversation, he comes back to theology, and that's just the way we are. And we were talking about deacons. And, and somebody once asked me, so how many elders should be in a church? How many deacons should be in a church? And I said, well, as many, no more than they have qualified men for, and as many as they need of those qualified men. Right? So, um, we, how many deacons should. I, Melissa, when I visited station, this is probably 20 years ago. And her and another lady went to go see a lady, but there was a guy there, and he told them that churches should have seven deacons because that's what they elected in Acts chapter five. Okay, uh, that that is taking example and making it mandate, which we must not do. Okay, so uh, how many deacons should First Baptist Church have? As many as we have qualified men for, and as many as we need of those qualified men. Okay, uh, how many elders should we have? 
We say, well, isn't elder the pastor and there's only one pastor? No, we have, we have two other elders in our church, Brian and Andrew. They're men who help me. I'm the lead, but they help me to address and teach and minister to the spiritual needs of our family, of our church family. The deacons minister to the, the physical needs of our church family. Now, we do a lot of it together, but that's kind of the breakdown. All right, so when he says here that what you bind on earth is bound in heaven, what you loose on earth will be loose in heaven, what is he teaching us? He's setting up that that church has authority. Church authority. The organization of this church uh, was yet to be established. When I came here, there are things that have changed into the organization and structure of our church. And when Pastor Bill became pastor, there were things that changed in the organization structure of the church. When Pastor Steiner, Steiner, yeah, Pastor Snyder was, yeah, there was one in between them briefly. Uh, pastor Snyder, when Pastor, but when Pastor Bach, you see, Pastor Bach was not the first pastor of this church, but he was here for thirty some years, and there was a lot of things that got set up under him. And whether we did it Pastor Bach's way or we did it Pastor Snyder's way, or I should say the church's way at that point. The church under Pastor Bach, the church under Pastor Snyder, the church under Pastor Steiner, Pastor Jelinek, pray for Pastor Jelinek, he's in hospice care right now. Uh, Pastor Bill or Pastor Stephen, the church has the authority to bind what they're going to bind and loose what they're going to loose. So here's what that means. We can do whatever we want to carry out the Great Commission. I wanted to pause there so you got worried. We can do whatever we want, but it must fall within the guidelines of scripture. In other words, can we have a vacation Bible school to reach kids with the gospel? Let me ask you that. That was a question for you guys. Can we have a vacation Bible school? Didn't we have one a couple weeks ago? Yeah. And did we share the gospel with many kids that week? Yes. You say, but that's not scripture. Scripture doesn't teach us about a vacation Bible school. I remember there used to be this uproar over puppets. Can you have puppets in church? Well, you shouldn't have puppets in church. You can do whatever you want. We as a church, let me rephrase that. We as a church can do whatever we want to fulfill the Great Commission. We have what we call liberty. But if you remember when I preached through the book of Romans, we talked about Christian liberty. Our liberty is not to fulfill our lusts and desires. Our liberty is to serve Him better. So we as a church, we can, I've talked about this before, about 5% of how our services are conducted is in the scripture, right? The rest of it is just tradition or how we do it. And that's okay. Because we can do whatever we want within the confines of Scripture and with the purpose of glorifying Jesus Christ. We can have service. We went to church last week at 11.30. Why did you choose that church? Because they didn't start until 11.30. No, that wasn't it. Um, we can, we, listen, we can, do it. we can do it however we want as a church. As long as we're trying to give glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And it's within the confines and the guidelines of Scripture. Listen, we as a church, we have authority. I don't, listen, I have what some people would call pastoral authority. The authority I have is to preach the word of God, to be in season, out of season. We could go through to equip the saints so that they can go out and do the work. But listen, we as a church, you guys have authority more than, as a body, we have authority more than I do because you can fire me. Right? You say, well, the Bible, listen, the church has authority. The church is, we are congregation uh, led. We're congregation led. Okay? Now, so we have uh, authority to do what? We have authority to carry out the Great Commission. When we get to chapter 18, we'll, go, we'll also go to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we will see that we also have authority 
that is not an enjoyable one, but it is for church discipline. We have authority over every member of this church. Now, it's not that I, as a pastor, have authority over all of you. You all need to listen to me because I'm the pastor. No, we as a church have authority. You say, well, I think the church needs to stay out of my personal business. If I want to live this way, I can live this way. That's just not the way it works. In the Bible, the church has authority. And if you're living in sin, we're going to do what Matthew 18 says. We're going to come to you personally. If it doesn't get resolved, we're going to come between two or three. If it still doesn't get resolved, in the last case, we don't want to do this, but we will take it before the church. Why? Because where Paul said that we put them out, uh, we put them out from, from the church for the destruction of the flesh that the soul may be saved. We're doing it because we love. If we ever do it out of hatred, hatred or anger, we're doing it for the wrong reason. But we as a church, in love, we must exercise authority over God's people that are members here. But here's what that also means. We don't have authority over Tabernacle Baptist down the road. We don't have any authority to go to him, to Pastor um, what's it? Pastor Yoko. Uh, I love Pastor Yoko, can you tell? Uh, we, we don't have any authority to go to Pastor Yoko and say, hey, you're doing this wrong. I don't have any authority to go to Sam Dunn. Now, we may tell each other this personally. We'll, we'll, we'll argue with each other. Um, but Sam, uh, you're doing this wrong. And you need to change it. And I'm not working a vote to condemn you. It's not my job. And it's not my job to preach against those other guys either. That's why you don't hear me preach about the other churches in our area because it's not my problem. It's not my duty. And some of them are doing it better than us. Okay? So, but our authority is here at First Baptist Church and the members of First Baptist Church. Now, the context of Matthew 18 is church discipline. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. Each church has the keys of its own door. When those keys are rightly turned by the assembly below, the act is ratified above. And so Jesus here in verse 20, the Bible tells us that he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus to Christ. It wasn't God's time to why did Jesus want him to tell us? We can, we can give you all kinds of reasons, speculation, or ideas of why, and maybe, maybe they're correct. But it may be that Jesus is telling them that it's up to the Father to reveal that he is the Christ. But listen, it is our job to bring them close to him. Let, let, let me tell you what the Word of God says. When you're witnessing to somebody, you can say, well, I'm, I just share my testimony. Well, share your testimony. Give them the Word of God. The, here, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says, and you can go on and on, you go down the Romans road, the Bible says, the Bible says, because this is where the power is. The power is in the Word of God. Yeah. Bring people near to God, and the Word of God. God uses his word to reveal to people who Jesus is and that he is the Messiah. There's more to teach them, and he's going to do that in the following verses. We'll get that next week. So what shall we do in closing? As his church, God has given First Baptist Church of Hazel Park authority not to do what we please, but to please him. We should use that authority to carry out his great commission. We use it to correct his children in our assembly when necessary. Listen, many companies and nations were founded on certain principles or certain guidelines, certain beliefs, certain morals, yet many of them have forgotten what they were founded on. The same is true in many churches, that they have forgotten that we are founded on Jesus Christ. Some, we would say, are the, the liberal side of things. They, they've 
we, we would look at them and say, well, maybe they're focusing too much on this, they're focusing too much on entertainment, they're focusing too much on, and go down the list. That's not our problem. Some, maybe on the other side, we would say, hey, they're focused too much on the pastor. He's like a god in that church. We are founded not on Pastor Bach, who I never met. Pastor Snyder told me I would have loved Pastor Bach. I wish I could have met him. But Pastor Bach, if everything I've heard about him is true, he would stand up here and say the same thing. First Baptist Church is not built on Pastor Bach. First Baptist Church is not built on Pastor Jelenic, Pastor Snyder, Pastor Steiner, Pastor Beard, or Pastor Clark. First Baptist Church is built on Jesus Christ. Jesus said that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So if I try to build First Baptist Church, I'm going to be battling Jesus because he's trying to build his church and I'm trying to build his church. And No, that's his job to build his church. And so it's not founded on any of us. And I told you this before, as musicians, if you'll come or whoever's leading this. If, if I, if God ever, if God decides this week that he, he's like, you know what, heaven is really lonely without Stephen, I'm going to bring Stephen home. If God decided that, I don't think he would think that, but if he, if he decided to bring me home this week, I know, I, I shouldn't have called him for yet. Everybody's looking at him. Like a smile. You're on camera. Okay. If everybody, if, if God called me home this week, I hope, or if God called me away, and God said, you know what, Stephen, you're done there, you're going to go pastor somewhere else. If God did that, the greatest thing that I would want to see is that First Baptist thrives without me here. Like, man, First Baptist, as soon as he left, it exploded. Great. Because that means it wasn't founded on me. It wasn't built on me. We are a church with authority, but we are a church that has his authority to fulfill his commission. And he's given us great power and great liberty to do that. Let's use it to please him. Let's stand as we sing. If you're here today without Christ, if you've never trusted him as your Savior, don't leave here today without knowing that you're right with your maker because there will come a day where he will deal with you if you don't go to him now in repentance and faith. If you're without Christ, if you've never been saved, trust him today. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.